0: be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are John Wooden Hey, friends and family, I'm Cal, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Intentional Living and Leadership where we help you lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world. A better place. I believe that you and I each have a unique contribution to make to the world. And I hope that this podcast can be a place for you to come back, to find community, to help you stay focused and find inspiration in your leadership and to help you make an impact on your sphere of influence. We normally release a new episode every other Tuesday, but today's episode is a special episode in honor of Veterans Day. I want to wish a very happy Veterans Day To all of the veterans out there, I sincerely thank you for your service and for the sacrifices that you have made and for the sacrifices that your family have made. I'm truly honored today to have two amazing guests on the show. Today, I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Lieutenant General Retired Bob Caslin and Dr. Mike Matthews. They just recently released a new book. It's called The Character Edge, Leading and Winning with Integrity. It's amazing. I highly recommend it, and we're going to talk all about it on today's episode. General Caslin is a return guest on the podcast. I'm so pumped to have him back. He is the current president of the University of South Carolina and the former superintendent of the United States Military Academy at West Point. He served for 43 years in the US Army commanding at every level. What an incredible source of wisdom and leadership that we get to listen to today. And then Dr. Mike Matthews is a professor of engineering psychology at West Point. He served as president of the American Psychological Association Society for Military Psychology. And he's also a Templeton Foundation senior positive psychology fellow. And we talk all about positive psychology today. He's the author of more than 250 scientific papers. He's edited several books on military psychology, and he's also the author of Headstrong, How Psychology is Revolutionizing War. This was such a fun conversation for me. The amount of collective wisdom and knowledge between these two guys is amazing. We talk about their book, How a Person Can Grow. In their character, how you can respond when you have a character failing. We talk about eulogy virtues and resume virtues, how President Kaslan views service and the first servant leader that he met that really changed the course of his career. We talk about positive psychology. We describe this character assessment. And I talk about my results. We also dig into the work that Dr. Matthews did with Angela Duckworth on grit. We talk about Coach popovich and we also talk about the amazing example of First Lieutenant Daniel Hyde. For show notes on this, go to my website, calwalters.me. Right there, you'll find links to their book. You'll also find their full resumes. And I just wanna give a special thank you to all of you guys that subscribe to this podcast, who've hit that subscribe button, On whatever podcast platform you listen to. If you haven't done that, please do that so you get all the upcoming episodes that we release. I also want to say a special thank you to all of you that I see sharing the podcast and thank you to everyone that have taken the time to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't take that long, but it really helps us Grow, it helps us meet, reach more people, and hopefully build a bigger community of people trying to make the world better. So, with that, I don't want to keep any longer. Please enjoy this interview with President Bob Kaslin and Dr. Mike Matthews. President Kaslin and Dr. Matthews, thank you so much for, for being here with me today. I'm really excited to talk about your brand new book, The Character Edge.
1: Well, we're delighted to be here. Thanks for having us, Cal.
2: Cal, we appreciate it very much. It's great to see you again.
0: Well, it is a uh, special book. I, I went through it quite quickly. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think that's unique about this book is that it's a nice blend of academic rigor mixed with experience. And I think, obviously, that's something that you both bring uniquely to uh, this book. But often you'll read a book that's got a lot of academic rigor and not a lot of experience to kind of tie into it. So I think you guys both... Uh, do a great job of uh, of bringing that to this book. President Kaslan, I want to ask you first, what what prompted you and Dr. Matthews to to write this book?
2: Well, actually, it was uh, Dr. Matthews' idea. <laughs> He's got, he could tell the story very well. You know, right before I, I, I knew I was leaving as a superintendent right before I left, he sent me notes saying, hey, would you join me in writing the book? And just like you said, Cal, I'll write the science and you tell the stories. And I said, sure, I can tell the story. So, But Mike's version of that is really, really good. um. Oh, I just,
1: yeah, I'll just, what I always say is that, you know, I've been studying character, you know, at West Point mostly for the last 15 years. But even when I was an Air Force officer, an Air Force psychologist, I had done empirical studies of character, even among those blue-suited individuals. And um, I thought it was like high time to, to put all this, the findings and the knowledge I gained into a book and get it all outlined and, and I realized that probably there were more about seven people who'd want to read it. They'd be other, people, other scientists who uh, who do research in that area. So Bob's heard me say this many times, it was half a book. <laughs> and uh, God knows, you know, we don't need a half a book written. And so I was just so delighted when he agreed to bring his many, many uh, years of, of perspective and wisdom uh, and experiences to bear, which I think is probably the most important most important issue of our times is, is sort of restoring character and a focus on character. Uh, Not just, not just probably night space, but across the United States, but across the planet, it looks like.
0: So uh, in Dr. Matthews, who, when you wrote this book, who did you have in mind as the, who did you hope would read this book and digest this book and apply it?
1: We, we both wanted to write it in a voice that, that was not, you know, pedantically, you know, academic. We want to be anybody who's a who's a leader, manager, a worker, in almost any sort of organization. It doesn't matter who you are if you're a human being. Character is important, both from the individual standpoint, like being just the standpoint being a better person, but also from the leader perspective, which which uh, President Kaslan can speak to even more. Um, you know how you, you know what you can do as a leader to create a positive organization and and cultivate and and grow character in your, among your, um, among your workforce.
0: Yeah. And president Kaslin, uh, you've obviously led for decades in the highest levels of multiple areas and disciplines. Who do you hope picks up this book and reads it?
2: Well, I hope everybody does, but you know, Cal, the way I saw it was, with my 43 year career in the military, I, I had seen the role of character in leaders in such positive ways and in such unfortunate negative ways. Um, and, and I saw it in negative ways, not only so it hurt the individual, but it hurt the entire organization itself. And I saw it really being a unifying factor on a positive way that just really brought people together that had a set of value sets that people aspire to that really just kind <clears> of <throat> define the left and right limits of an organization's, uh, structure the values that they want to embrace and that really just catapulted them forward into really some great things and character was a significant issue between great success and great failure and i realized that character was immune to anybody and everybody can have great character or anybody can have terrible characters people who i had held up to the highest esteem four-star generals and to see them fall as a result of a character breach or people that I thought would never be successful, and yet they proved me wrong because they were men and women of great character. And the great character allowed them to persevere under some some really tough circumstances. So character became such a tremendous factor in leadership and effective leadership that I just felt that if you have the opportunity to talk about character to everybody that's out there, particularly those who are in leadership positions, um, I hope they get something out of the book.
0: Now, President Kaslow, I'm curious, what do you say to the leader out there who has had a character, you know, mistake, I guess mistake, maybe that's the wrong word, but has had a character lapse? I mean, is there, are you, are you asking people to, to be perfect or are you uh, kind of urging them towards something different than, than perfection?
2: Well, that's a great question, Cal. You know, and um, normally it, you would think in a person's life that when they find themselves in a leadership position, leadership is uncompromising and that they should be men and women of great character. But I think to get to that level, it's not just something that you turn on and turn off. Uh, it's developmental and it's something that you have to learn over time. Um, I do believe in the developmental experience and when you learn about character that you're going to find yourself sometimes, especially in leadership positions, in some uncompromising circumstances. And depending on the values that you've embraced and how well they've been internalized, you may exhibit those values under that uncompromising circumstance, or maybe you may not. But if you have not, and if you have made the mistake, I see it as an opportunity not necessarily to really cut you off from a future leadership position, but but is it's an opportunity to not only pay the price that's necessary, but to really develop and learn from that. You know, case in point is the uh, cadet and honor system. And, and I really watched that very carefully. As a superintendent, I was very fortunate to be able to adjudicate each and every honor situation because it was finally came to me. And I had the authority under the secretary of the army to authorized discretion
0: okay.
2: you know but my point was this that i knew that many women would come to the military academy embracing a set of values that they brought with them from their upbringing it was a result of their families their other house the, who they hung around with their friends the teams that they were on and those values may or may not been consistent with duty on a country but i also knew that by the time they graduated through their hat in the air on graduation day duty honor and country absolutely had to be internalized it had to be part of your very essence because when you are entrusted with America's sons and daughters america does not expect you to go out there and have defects of character they expect you to leave their sons and daughters under the most uh, highest set of values of duty on a country and the army's values which also include loyalty duty respect and selfless service honor integrity personal courage but while they're at west point there's going to be mistakes and i think this is a development time a mistake by a freshman is probably not as treated as severely as a, as a defect by a senior or a firstie. You know, you would think that a senior having been around duty, honor, and country for three-plus years would have internalized this somewhat. So the consequences of that developmental error is going to be a little bit more severe, significantly more severe than uh, if it just came from a freshman. But in all cases, um, there are some incredible programs out there that really force, once you make that mistake, to really force you to really, really reflect on what you did and have some introspection on who you are as compared to who you need to be and why you need to embrace that value set. And that reflection and introspection, particularly with a mentor guiding you along the way, really results in the internalization of a value set that probably... Would never have been as immense as it was if the mistake hadn't occurred in the first place. It's like breaking a bone. If you break a bone and it heals and heals correctly, the bone is stronger where the break, uh, where the break was than, the, than it was in the first place. If you have a defective character and you learn and learn from it and, and recover from it, your, your character will become stronger as a result. And uh, what I found was those cadets that had gone through the mentorship program really were the ones that had merged with stronger character than even their classmates who had not. Sometimes the senior, in particular, who had that character defect, ended up in the army in the enlisted ranks and had to serve a couple years over there and do the mentorship program as an enlisted soldier in the army. And then they had to reapply to come back to West Point. And those that came back, I'll tell you what, they're they were incredible men and women of character, and they were not afraid or bashful to tell their story. And they, as a result, had inspired many other cadets to understand why it was so important to be. Men and women are leaders of character.
0: Yeah! Wow! And I think what I what I hear uh, I was actually listening to a pastor the other day talk about how you know in the context of a Christian faith how Jesus was both a full dose of grace and a full dose of truth at the same time. And I think that uh, you know when the idea of of these aspirational. Uh, character qualities. It's a, it's a process. It sounds like to me it is a, it is a process. And I, one of the things I love about this book is that it gives the reader so many opportunities to self-reflect, to, to think about, uh, and we're going to get into this, this idea of your resume virtues versus your eulogy virtues. And you give people an opportunity to really think about their character strengths, to assess their grit. So Dr. Matthews, I'd like to ask you about this concept of the dash. Uh, these resume virtues and the the eulogy virtues. Can you tell us what those what those things are and how that applies to to character?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it it may be as as one advances to the timeline of life, Cal. You begin for begin reflecting more and more about the meaning of life and and so forth. And when we talk about that hyphen, you know, on your on your on your gravestone, you know, with the years that you live from whatever. I was we were both. Bob and I were both born in 1953. We hope we make it to 2053. We'll see. That hyphen accounts for a lot of stuff, you know. And I think most people, if if you if you really get them to be honest with themselves, you know, if they write their own obituary, uh, they may say a few things like I had a, a degree in this or that, and you know. But the really things that really mattered most for us not the size of your bank account, or you know, or how many degrees you had, or these these sort of you know external sorts of, of accomplishments. You see things you would ordinarily put on a resume, but rather what kind of person you were? Were you kind to others? Did you make others around you better? Um, you know, did, did you make the world a better place by virtue of having been in it through one way or another? And sometimes if you're lucky, you can do that for your career, you know? So military officer can, can make those around him or her better. A teacher can make those around him or her better. So I guess when we're back just back in my own life, I think the meaning and the meaning and purpose I derive from my life comes not from having a PhD or from even written a book or published umpteen articles. It comes from helping develop well, young folks like you, although I don't think i remember ever in class <laughs> and seeing them grow up and do, uh, do wonderful things, um, through their lives. And that's, that's really what we meant by that. So the eulogy, so the eulogy ones are, are, are the ones that I think really matter.
0: I'm curious, Dr. Matthews. What are some of your eulogy virtues?
1: Well, I, 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 if I say it, then I won't. Modesty won't be one of them. <laughs> well,
0: please, I'm asking you not to be modest <laughs> right now.
1: Well, when I take when I take the uh, the values and inventory inventory of strengths, this this strengths test we talk about in the book, it, it says um, uh, forgiveness. You know, I'm a pretty forgiving sort of person. I can, like anybody, I can get my dander up for a short while, but it it goes away real fast. Um I think I, I do care a lot about others. I've devoted my life to to teaching and developing others. And I'd say those were the you know the main ones without uh scraping too deep down into this barrel.
0: <laughs> President Kaslin, what are some of uh your eulogy virtues?
2: Oh wow. <laughs> uh you know, you while well, you think about the values similar to virtues of uh, West Point duty on a country, uh, service the country and and living a life of honor and integrity. <clears throat> and then you think of loyalty. Um, I, I think the big S in their selfless service, you know, that you would just like just like Mike had said that you commit your life and you dedicate your life to the betterment of others and that whole issue of selflessness and servant leadership is i think a critical virtue that um all of us aspire to uh
0: president caslin i'm because i I obviously you have led and a very servant oriented for so long i mean when you reflect back on your life where do you think that comes from for you i mean is, is it maybe going back to what you observed as a child or or where did you kind of get this love of service and love of of leadership
2: yeah no i think (laughs) um you know that's a great question and frankly that's why i'm here again so after i finished being the superintendent of the president of west point i found that i had a hunger to still serve and to develop the future generation of america or a local community or a state's community or whatever so that's why i'm back into higher education I, you know, I think uh, from my, my faith, my personal faith, there's a great uh, parable, not a parable, it's actually a story. I think the mother of uh, two of uh, Jesus' disciples came up and said, I'd love these two sons of mine to be on your left hand and on your right hand when you come to your kingdom in heaven. And he said, and, and Jesus said, no, you can't. It doesn't work that way. He said, the greatest among you is the servant among you. And I really reflected on being a servant. And what does it mean to be a servant? And what does it mean to be a servant in leadership? And, you know, quite frankly, whether it's your faith or not, I mean, Jesus is one of the most influential, if not the most influential leader in the history of mankind. So if he is advocating servant leadership, then we probably ought to think about what does servant leadership really mean? And what does it mean to serve other people? And that doesn't mean you coddle them. That doesn't mean you you know, you lower standards, it means servant leadership is that you lead from the front, you lead side by side, shoulder to shoulder to enable people to achieve the standard. It's not lowering the standard to where they are, it's leadership to get them to that standard. And whatever obstacle is in their way, you teach them, help them, and lead them through that obstacle to go over it, around it or just, or just blow it up and then continue moving forward. You know, that's what leadership's all about. And sometimes what do they need? They need a good size 12 in the backside, you know, and, you know, that's what you got to do. But, um, and, and it's that hard love is what sometimes they need, but servant leadership is all about understanding the needs of people to achieve something bigger than what they think they can achieve and that you provide the leadership necessary to get them there.
0: Who, when you reflect back, who was the first servant leader that you remember observing?
2: Wow. <laughs> um I, no i had a well you know you, i think when i graduated and i said i was gonna do my five years and get out of the army <clears throat> um my first battalion commander actually my second battalion commander now passed away um just an incredible leader and incredible man but he to me was uh, the epitome of servant leadership and what he ended up doing was motivating me to stay in the army so he completely flipped me from wanting to leave in five years to staying in to 43 years you know i the, the person who was going to be the first one to leave out of his class leave the military out of his entire class ended up being a guy who was the absolute last person to hang up the uniform in his entire class <laughs> but i would attribute it to my um, second battalion commander Uh, who was just an incredible guy and servant leader. Yeah.
0: What do you, what stands out to you about him when you think about his leadership?
2: Uh, Oh, he, well, first of all, he knew all of us. He spent time with us. He, um, he, we even had like these professional development things. And, and then we got involved in doing that and all, and, you know, and and he was an incredible guy. And I actually, um, I remember he put us through all the, I mean, some really tough training exercises. And I ended up being, as a lieutenant, one of his company commanders. And uh, he would come out there in the middle of the night and just spend hours with us, just kind of coaching you along and encouraging you and stuff like that. And he was really great. Yeah,
0: I love that because I think so often uh, as people in an organization, you can feel anonymous. You can feel like no one cares about you. And I've heard you talk about this, President kaslin that the most important quality of a leader is just to show that they care. Uh, and I love that just this idea of just getting to know your people. Uh, it can seem so simple uh, and, and not always easy because it takes time. But I just think this idea of just getting to know people as a leader demonstrates you care. And even reflecting back that far, what a cool, what a, how neat that he set your career in such a different motion. I was kind of the same way. I was going to get out after 5 and here I am, uh, you know, 12 plus years obviously, nowhere close to where you're at, but um still on the journey, still having fun. Um, you know, Dr. Matthews, I'd love to ask you about this concept of positive psychology. So, I think a lot of us when we think about psychology, we we quickly gravitate towards the negative side of that of issues anxiety depression uh, things that we're trying to avoid from the mental health side but this this idea of positive psychology what is that and uh, when did that become a thing
1: So you know I think it's the most exciting development in the, in the field of psychology in, in my now lengthy career you know um, if the history of psychology is, is very much as, as we've said focused on, Remedying deficiencies, whether it's depression or schizophrenia or substance abuse. In fact, if you ask someone on the street, well, what's your image of a psychologist? They usually come up with, with a, a, a therapist, you know, perhaps sitting beside a couch, you know, and taking notes and you know, whatever. And, and in fact, uh, you know, although psychologists have looked through, through, through the last century at positive attributes focus has been, you know, probably 80% or 90% of the time towards these negative attributes. But there's a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania named Martin Seligman. He and along with um, two or three and a handful of other sort of forward-thinking psychologists began talking back in the 1990s is, what about, why can't we have a psychology for the rest of us? Okay, because only maybe 10 or 15% of the population really suffers from those things but what about the other eighty88 or five percent why can't there be a psychologist that makes a psychology makes life worth living why don't, why not focus on thriving rather than failure and so dr. Seligman uh, put these thoughts together and in 1998 published a very really seminal paper and sort of named this and called it positive psychology and you know from there he wanted to develop not just a, a you know a theory or or a you know, sort of an armchair theory of positive psychology, but a science of positive psychology. So I uh, I guess I became a disciple <laughs> there along the line, you know, probably in the early 2000s. He visited West Point, our department. I'd known of his work, you know, since I was a graduate student back in the 70s. For me, it was like meeting Freud, you know, it was a big deal. And uh, ever since we first met in 2003, I've devoted my scientific enterprise to looking at character development and assessment in cadets and other populations. But again, the, the point being that, that I don't, I don't psychology it's better for us to supplement the negative psychology for, for what, what goes well in life. And that's really what the, the focus of positive psychology is all about. Yeah, I remember. Character is a big piece of that.
0: Yeah. So I, I love in the book, you, you set the scene. So it's, it's West Point. It's in the fall and I can think about it right now. It's October as we're or actually November as we're recording this. So the leaves are changing and you have a class at West Point where you teach third year students. So juniors or, or cows, as we call them at West Point about character. And I'd love for you to tell us about this, this class and this discussion about character. Tell us, tell us what you do in this class and how you kind of lead into uh, maybe a definition of character.
1: Well, Cal, this may call induced post-traumatic cadet syndrome. It does, a little bit. <laughs> but you might remember taking a course called PL300, which
0: is- I do, yes, I course. do indeed.
1: And um, that course focuses on all aspects of, of what it takes to be a, a good leader, but to every extent we can, we want to make it somewhat grounded in science, but we have great officers for the most part teaching that course who have leadership experience, especially in this time of war. I'm sure you had some- really, you know, inspiring, uh, you know, your PL300 instructor was inspiring to go, I hope.
0: Absolutely.
1: But lesson three uh, of, the, of, the, of that course, we informally introduced the topic of character, and very much like in chapter one of our book, where we talk about Seligman's theory of, of character with 24 character strengths organized into six moral virtues, the assessment of it. Now, I generally don't teach PL300 because I'm busy teaching other stuff. But I always get to do uh, go and be a guest lecture is uh, not the right word I just I lead discussions but a guest in PL 300 instructors classes and I look forward to every semester lesson three and, and st- stepping up on the platform with these wonderful officers that that teach that course and um, and then from there you know really that provides the basis for the rest of the course all the rest of the lessons because as as president Kazan will, will emphasize every I mean leadership hinges on character and trust. And that's a, a point that we launched from on lesson three out of, well, now since you've left, we've now 30 lessons, but they're longer. It used to be 40 lessons long, same amount of, uh, enlightenment, just in, in a shorter number of, of lessons. So that's, that's sort of the background on that. And I'd love to teach a course in character. It's just that, you know, we're, we're, um, heavily, uh, engaged in, in, in other targets most of the time.
0: I want to ask you about the way you define character in the book. So I, I think that's one thing that maybe some people struggle with is you, you hear character and it can be kind of this amorphous thing of like, well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about integrity? Are we talking about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just general character? But in the book, you define character as a person acting on his or her world in ways that benefit it and in turn, the world thereby providing benefits for the person. So you kind of break it down, it seems like, into three parts. So can you tell us, uh, Dr. Matthews, how you came up with that, that definition?
1: Well, um, let me first just digress just a, a, a slight bit. So if, if you look for a textbook definition of, of character, you know, you'll find that in our book about that. On page three, early on, it says character is defined as the moral values and habits of an individual. So the values are your internalization of, of right and wrong, okay? And habits get at the behavior aspect. And so, here's what I'd like to expand on slightly. So, so mostly when you when you ask a person on the street what they what they think of when you say character, you think of the the moral sort of the moral side of it, right and wrong, you know, uh, uh, and, and and such. But I kind of think there being like three different classifications of character. There's these 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 character traits or attributes, which do address the moral aspects of life. And those are important in in doing good and and being well thought of and and making the world a better place. There's also a category of of, uh, character strengths, including grit, for example, or self-regulation, which are important in performance, how well you do at what you do. So much of my research at West Point with Angela Duckworth uh, primarily has looked at grit, and its and its relationship to how well cadets do uh, across the 47 months at West Point. That would be an example of, of sort of a performance type of character. And the third I've come to think of, and I've just recently started thinking of this, perhaps because of the pandemic, but there's also a cluster of character strengths which are important in resilience. So not, not just being a good person and not just performing at your best, but also being able to adapt and overcome and, and not suffer pathology in the face of inevitable challenges and adversity that comes with life. Now, so just briefly on your, your point. So I think it's really important, I guess, three or four things I'd like everybody to hear. One is character is not just one thing. No, there are very several dimensions of character, perhaps as many as 24. Read the book and you can read all of them. I can't, You know, I sit here and regurgitate them all to you myself, even okay, too many. Second point is that that ultimately, if character matters, you've got to act on it. There has to be a behavioral basis to it. So it's it's one thing to think kind thoughts. It's a whole lot better thing to go and and, uh, and work at a food kitchen or in some other pro social behavior. So when you do that, the second element that you brought up is you're doing good things for others, making life better for others. But the beautiful secret of it all is that when you do that, it makes you stronger and gives you meaning and purpose in life as well. So it's a, a, positive, a positive feedback loop. And, that was-
0: and is there a scientific backing for that idea of, of when you do good for others, it ultimately benefits you?
1: A whole bunch. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so one of the things when I, when I talk to groups about, well, how do you cope with things like the pandemic? And the one thing is, is, it just comes back to what President Kazan said about being selfless service. You quit thinking about me and start thinking about others and start doing good for others. And there's so many ways to do that. Okay. That um, that ultimately has this effect of, of boosting your self-esteem, your confidence and, and just sort of your, you know, self-evaluation of the type of person you are. But there is a, it's referenced in the book and, and um, I could probably give you a paper with 70 references on it about all the good things that accrue that people who go out and, but the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts knew that, right? Like do a good deed every day. Yeah, so it's not, a, it's not a novel idea. I think all the teachings of Christianity and all the other major religions and the philosophers, it's not a new idea. It's just now we have a little bit of a science to back it up.
0: So, I took the values and in action inventory of strengths assessment. And let me just tell y'all what I got. Uh, so, these are my top strengths. Top strength was forgiveness and mercy. Uh, my second strength was spirituality, sense of purpose, and faith. My strength number three was kindness and generosity. Strength number four was curiosity, interest in the world. And strength number five was perspective. And wisdom, um, I'm not sure. It is interesting because I ran this by my wife. I said, "Hey, sweetie, what do you what do you think is this?" Accurate? She was like, "Yeah, it that sound, sounds pretty pretty accurate about you." So, President Kaslin, when people take this assessment, what what should they do with the results?
2: Well, you know, it was actually Mike that actually put that piece of the book together, so he'll be better at this. But it, this is a great opportunity to really know yourself and to understand yourself, because if you have the opportunity to really take a look at what are your strengths, what are the things that are really standing out for you, that's something that you may think it's, is logical or, some, or something that's not, but um, it, it should at least cause you to reflect on what this is telling you and what are these values and what are these virtues and are they in line with what you think they ought to be? And they and I really like the one on purpose. Are they in line with what your purpose is in life? Because if they're in line with what your purpose is, then you've got the motivation and you've got the skill set and you've got the character traits that are going to get you to that end state. And then maybe it's something that you see and hear that is not what you think of and or not what you think is necessary. But, you know, it's like um, whether you like it or not, it's like looking in the mirror. When you wake up in the morning <laughs> – you may not like what you see in the mirror, but what you can see in the mirror is what's really there. So when you take this, this assessment and you look at all these different character traits, then you got a good assessment of who you really are. You may like it. You may not like it, but the fact is this is who you are. The next question you got to ask yourself is, am I okay with this? Is this going to define what my purpose is? Is this going to help me get to where I need to be? And if not, then I ought to probably make some modifications or some changes. But uh, it's that. Ref- this, is, this, is, this is why character is so tremendously important, especially during the developmental process that we talked about before. If you have a reflection and introspection, it not only sees you who you are, but it allows you to really understand, is this where I want to be? And if it's not, where do I really need to go? So you're not just moving forward with, with no knowledge at all about what your strengths, your character strengths are, or, or what your weaknesses are, or more vulnerable areas are. And uh, so this gives you an opportunity to, to really do that assessment, figure it out introspection, is this where I want to be, what do I need to do to change, and then let's put the change in place and get there.
0: I really am excited to follow up with you, President Kazan, on this point. Cause I, I, I'm just really curious to dig into your experience on this. So what I, what I hear you saying a little bit of is just self reflection, but also kind of the Jim Collins principle of being willing to just stare at current reality, even if it's ugly. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious for you as a, as a seasoned leader, how has, how has self reflection been part of your journey? How, how have you, when you look back on your leadership experience, I'm wondering, if you, maybe it's some moments that you've had where you've had to kind of confront current reality about yourself or about your leadership or about your organization. I wonder if you could just speak to the, the process of self-reflection and honest self-reflection as part of a leader's journey.
2: Well, that's a good question because I think that's necessary. So, you know, the one good thing that the Army does is they give you, they rate you. And if they do it right, they're supposed to sit down. Your superior is supposed to sit down with you and go over. These are the things you're doing well. These are the things that you're not doing well. These are the things that you ought to be working on. Uh, If they are really good at that skill, they can draw it out of you so that you identify your strengths and weaknesses. And, um, and as a result of things that you really want to work on. So, you know, the, 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 the interpersonal skill development that the Army has through rating you and to give you counseling that's necessary is, I think, is a great thing if it's done correctly. And I've been around long enough to know in the Army that it's not always done correctly. I've fact, more times than not that it's not. The other piece that is very helpful is this whole concept of that the Army has in when they do after action reviews. So an after action review is not necessarily an evaluation of you. It's an evaluation of the organization that you're in charge of. So, you know, they they have this thing called the National Training Center out of Fort Irwin. And they have another one down at, at uh, in Fort uh, what's it? in Louisiana, Fort Polk, Louisiana. Oh, oh, oh. And I I was I had a great assignment one time. I was the chief evaluator of a O six level command of colonel. That had maybe what about 15,000 soldiers underneath him during that particular time. And uh, going through two weeks, two and a half weeks of force non force, where as the chief evaluator, you really see someone in these leadership positions. And you can really increase the pressure and the strength so that it puts the unit into a really tough situation. You know, it's like stretching an elastic band when you stretch an elastic band, then only when you put it under pressure by stretching it can really take a good look at it and see where the little holes are in it but when it's contracted and it's not under pressure you can't find out where those problems where those holes are so when you take a unit and put it under pressure you get to see where some of the issues are that really need to be addressed some of the faults within the organization so you'd go through a mission the mission is over with you either successful or not successful partially successful whatever And then the AAR starts. So all the leaders go into a room and you have everybody there from the colonel all the way down to captains and lieutenants. And the rules in the room are, everybody can speak what's on their mind. And there's no, I mean, they're encouraged to speak what's on their mind. There's no um, adjudication that's gonna come back or retribution that's gonna come back at you for saying something that may bring embarrassment. Everybody's got to really, you really want to know what happened so as the chief evaluator uh, i have the the honor and the privilege of walking the unit through what did you do what happened why did it happen and how do you fix it you know so you know a lot of times that unit is got is 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 uh, very haughty and um (laughs) There's no shortage of uh, boastfulness and pride. Uh, We we knew how to crank up the environment so that even though there was a lot of boastfulness and pride, that they were going to make mistakes and probably find some failures, which I think was necessary. And then because it really exposed the things in the unit that the unit really needed to understand and to work on. Uh, And then you just sit down and just say, okay, what happened? Or sometimes you would show a video of what happened. So there was no equipment equivocation whatsoever about what happened. They may think something happened, but here's what really happened, you know, showing the video. And then they go, ah, so you get that aha mo- moment. And then you say, any questions on what happened? This is what happened. And then you go, why did it happen? You know, then the Colonel will start and I'll say, okay, wait a minute, Colonel, you just be quiet for a second. You need <laughs> to just sit here and listen. And then I would go to the Lieutenant or to the captain and say, well, why did that happen? And it's amazing. The reflection that actually takes place, and that really that conversation that occurs on why it happened, and you immediately know why that why why what did happen, and actually why what did happen occurred. So you have this moment of reflection, but it's really a healthy thing. I mean, it (laughs) it's a healthy process because it's if you're really good at leading this AAR, you really drive self-discovery. And when someone can really have self-discovery, they take ownership of it more so than if you just lecture them on what they did well and what they didn't do well, they may or may not listen to you. But the self-discovery through reflection and introspection really shows the unit, not the individual now, the unit, their strengths and weaknesses and where they need to improve and things like that. So we've learned this. This is one of the this is why we're the best army in the world, because we put ourselves in these really tough circumstances, both individually and collectively. And we uh, do that on purpose so that we can find our strengths and our weaknesses so that we can improve and become better as a result.
0: How do the best leaders react to those AARs?
2: The best leaders will take it with, uh, with modesty and humility and will learn. And not only that, but they will encourage their organization to learn. The best leaders will take their men and women, their subordinates and push them into areas they're uncomfortable and unfamiliar with. Knowing that when they get to areas they're uncomfortable and unfamiliar, they're likely to make mistakes. And the best leaders will underwrite those mistakes, not as a mistake, but as an opportunity to learn and to become better as a result. You know, when I walk into those, when I was still the evaluator down at Fort Polk, I'd walk into a unit at the beginning of the exercise, <clears throat> and you knew right away if it was going to be a successful uh, rotation or not. There was a buzz of activity, and everybody was walking around, running around, and there were. There were majors that were talking to the colonels. There was sergeants that were talking to the majors and the majors stopped to listen to them. And then when it came time to give the update briefing at the end of the day to the commander, all, everybody in the staff was the one that wanted to do the staff briefing because they wanted to show off what they were doing. They all had a purpose and they were tied to the purpose. They were given resources to accomplish it. And, and they, were, they, were, they were proud of what they were doing. And you knew right away when they were talking to the boss, the boss, why they loved talking to this boss and working for him or her, because the boss just edified them, lift them up and encourage them to stretch and to get in areas they're uncomfortable with. So that as a result, he, they, even if they made a mistake, he would underwrite the mistake as an opportunity to learn and get better and get stronger as a result. And they loved it and they did get better. And then there were some organizations you walk into and you, as soon as you walk into that headquarters, it was like ice. Hmm. everybody's sitting there next to the computer screen and they're just staring at the computer screen. There's no talking, there's no moving around. Everybody's doing only what they're told to do, nothing more, nothing less. And as soon as they were briefed from the commander at the end of the day, you knew exactly why. And it was simply because when, and the only one that wanted a brief was the one that had to brief and that was the the senior staff officer. As soon as the senior staff officer briefed, the commander just ripped him apart, humiliated him in front of, in a public forum, and no one wanted to work for this guy. So they were only going to do exactly what they're told, nothing else. Growing units that have great character will allow themselves to have this reflection and introspection, and they will have a boss that will underwrite the risk of failure as opportunities of learning get better and stronger. Mike Krasheskin said it best. He said, I don't necessarily strive to win i strive for excellence and out of excellence success naturally naturally happens and excellence is just getting you and you and your people out of average the opposite of excellence is mediocrity so if you take your performance on a bell-shaped curve and if your performance is average you're going to be right in the middle of that bell-shaped curve but if you're going to live a life of excellence and you want to be a leader of excellence you're going to push your subordinates to the two standard deviations to the right, where that curve goes all the way down to the horizontal line. And that's where you want people to operate. And there's not a lot of room to operate in that unfamiliar area. And they're probably going to make a mistake. And that's where the boss has got to underwrite that mistake as an opportunity to learn. And that's where those those are the units that really grow and they get better. And next thing you know, that, that bell-shaped curve moves to the right and then it continues to move to the right and, get, and they get better each and every time. Um,
0: this is a nice segue into another topic I wanted to ask you all about and this concept of grit uh, or a growth mindset. Uh, Dr. Matthews, uh, I was actually a cadet back at West Point class of 2008 and I learned when I read Angela Duckworth's book that I participated in this grit study. Uh, apparently there's a grit score out there. I, I'm also curious. I want to know both of your grit scores. Uh, but Dr. Matthews, what what is grit and how does that factor into someone's character?
1: So grit is defined as sort of that, that character attribute that, that shows a passionate pursuit, of a long-term goal, you know, in, in and in, it's sort of that, that idea like a, that terrier dog who just won't turn loose of that, the, of the hunt, right? Of the toy. It's just going to get, it's going to win no matter what. I think the key part of it is, if the idea of, of grit is that it plays out over a long period of time. So it's not really that gritty if, you know, you get up in the morning and do a three-mile run once a week, you know, or something like that, you know, or if you, are, if you refuse the second helping of mashed potatoes at, at Thanksgiving, okay, that's maybe self-regulation, but it's not grit. So Angela and I thought that, that West Point was this perfect place to study grit systematically because you've got 1200 or so new cadets who come in every year. It's really in many ways the best America has to offer. You know, they're, they're, they're smart, they're good, good young men and women. Um, and we have um, sort of uh, meticulous records of how they perform over the 47 months. And so what we did was we uh, administered the GRIT assessment. You will not remember this, but our day plus one, we brought all the cadets into Rob Hall and actually in, in two batches, it holds about 600 or so. And among the many other questionnaires you finished was this GRIT. And then we calculated the score and followed you through 47 months and actually beyond and, uh, and, and found that GRIT is extremely important. In fact, it's the only thing that predicts, and by, by just Angela and I have verified this on 10 year data set now with over 11,000 cadets. We just published that about a year ago, uh, this month. That grit is the only predictor of of what whether a cadet will complete cadet basic training. Your, your IQ IQ SAT has nothing to do with it. You know your your CFA score, the the, the uh, physical fitness score you t- assessment uh, you take has nothing to do with it. Your leadership potential score has nothing to do with it. Grit does, and it's it's that ability. To, to latch onto a goal and not turn loose. So I'll, I'll you know, retreat back in and remind you that, that that's a performance attribute, a character attribute. You, there's some really gritty people who are pretty unpleasant to be around, <laughs> right? So so grit is not the end all in terms of, of, of characters, if, if you're thinking of a whole human being. Um, but for things like West Point and, and being an, a competent, uh, an effective army officer or a physician or anything else that's hard to do, their long-term goals, grit is, is pretty darn important. And when we talk about the character edge in the book, it's, it, it's, that can be illustrated by grit. So let's say you're trying to predict uh, freshman grades among among cadets. Well, of course, the SAT predicts those pretty well, right? That's what it's designed to do. But cadets who are also gritty get this much better. On top, that's the edge that sharpens that edge of the SATs. grit is an example of, of more generally what we mean in the book about the character edge. I think Bob, you were going to jump in on that.
2: You know, one of the reasons, Cal, that uh, that we have boxing at West Point, even though there was a lot of pressure for us not to box because of uh, concussion and stuff like that, and we are very, we were very sensitive to that and try to put all the right technology and policies in place to minimize concussive act- activity and event but we realized we had to put boxing because it was the, one, only, the only one event that required every single cadet to go head to head in full body contact. I mean, rugby players do it, but they do it voluntarily. Same thing with football players and stuff like that. But for every single cadet to do that, it was the only thing that required full body contact, even the women. And, and the issue was not so much that we wanna teach them a combative skill. We had to teach them how to deal with fear and how to overcome fear. Because it has such a transforming and a transformative uh, uh, play once they, once they graduate. Because gradu- when they graduate and they're given the responsibility to lead America's sons and daughters in the crucible of ground combat, they have to lead in fear. When they're fearful, when their soldiers are fearful, they got to lead from the front. They have to share hardships. And they got to be able to learn to deal with fear and that sort of thing. So this is um, that's part of the grit that, you know, and it's part of the developmental experience. And it's one of those necessary characteristics of character that is not just a moral aspect, but a physical aspect to succeed in our case, to have the outcome of, of dealing with fear and leading in the crucible of ground combat operations.
0: It. President Caslin, even just hearing you mention boxing kind of caused a little bit of anxiety in me. <laughs> just thinking back to, I mean, I could picture walking in there and, and getting ready and having that fear of getting punched in the face. And, you know, there were so many examples at West Point where you have that fear. I remember the IOCT. I was so terrified of, uh, you know, the, that feeling at the end, which is the, this indoor, for those that aren't familiar with West Point, it's this indoor obstacle course where, I'm convinced there's something in the air in that gym or something you you can't breathe at the end of it uh, but but there's something about those experiences where you you do it you feel the fear you do it and then at the end you're like okay I survived that like it didn't kill me I, and I'm curious Dr. Matthews maybe you can answer this is like what is is there something happening in the brain that like it's almost like you get these data points that you're like okay Uh, it didn't kill me. I can probably do that again. It's because it it does seem to me that the next time you're faced with something difficult, you almost automatically reference back to that in some way that tells you you're going to be okay, or you can do this. It's like you get stronger over time.
1: I'm going to give you a pointy headed scientist answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's what I'm looking for. (laughs) It won't be as interesting as Bob's examples, but you know, there's a lot of, I mean, years and years of research in psychology done, even with animals, or if, or if you're trying to teach a, a person or even an animal to be persistent, they have to experience frustration. And sometimes that's fear. And but it needs to be structured in a way that, that, that it's not so impossible. I mean, if everybody took the boxing class, was cold conked out, you know, and carried over to the hospital with a concussion, nobody would learn anything it would be, be an absurd uh, exercise. But like other character strengths, grit and, and uh, self-regulation and, and uh, courage are a learned response. So I, I really don't think, they're gonna get scientific on you. I'm, I'm a really a biopsychologist early on by training, so I know a lot about behavior genetics and have done research in that area. You know, humans don't come pre-wired with these 24 character strings, by and large. Temperament, basic temperament might be pre-wired. You can have fussy babies and happy babies and so forth and, and so on. But, but what we become as adults, um, first of all, you know, we've learned through our social environment, through our families first, and then the school environment, then you get to West Point and those experiences. Another nice thing is that the learning doesn't end when you graduate from West Point or from college or from medical school or wherever it might be, our character is always being molded by experience. But to go back to your point, you know, if you're you're in charge, if if you're the superintendent of West Point or the commandant of cadets or the dean of faculty, you wanna create challenges because gosh knows there's gonna be greater challenges someday on the battlefield and and i think boxing is just a great exemplar and, and uh bob described that very well as to why that's so important do you think that 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 good military training is a grit building exercise
0: dr matthews i'm curious what uh what your grit score is if you don't mind sharing
1: well it's a five point scale right it is about a six Yeah. <laughs> I think Bob's a
0: seven. I was going to say General Caslin has to break the break the score there. What is yours, General Caslin?
2: I'm so curious. I, I forgot what it is. About like a four and a half or something like that. I that's, true, that's half, half. But if if Mike's about a six, I'm going to be a six point five. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> I I was curious, Dr. Matthews, if you could talk about uh, what you learned from Coach Popovich.
1: You know. I learned a lot of things, from the, lots of things from the Spurs. And just, you know, to be honest, I didn't have a whole lot of contact with Pop. You know, he's a busy, busy guy. In fact, the first time I met him, it was the day before a playoff game, the first playoff game of the season. And I sat through practice. Uh, the, actually, we were practicing sort of the pregame meetings and pregame drills. And um, he took time out to come over and sit with me and talk. You know, know, he's an Air Force Academy grad, and so he knew we were there from West Point and so forth. So what I'd say about Pop, and I'd say about high-performing organizations like the Spurs, I mean, if if you're a basketball fan, you know that they didn't have a really great year this year. You know, they had some struggles, but over the last quarter of a century, they've been in the playoffs almost all the time, won a number of, of championships. And so when you look at excellence on that, you know, Pop is certainly, critical in 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 contributing to that that sense of excellence in the organization. But the organization itself is is run by a general manager and the director of player personnel, R.C. Buford and Phil Cullen and, 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 the new, and the new general manager, who really take to heart, I mean, they could have written this book, the chapter, the chapters on the organizational excellence. And so what Pop does, and I learned this more from from the from then, uh, General Manager R.C. Buford, and some of the other uh, front office people. He's a master psychologist, and, and and in that I mean, you know, you have coach great. You have coaches. Almost anybody can learn the X's and Y's of basketball or football or baseball or any sport. Right? You can learn that, but the great coaches spend their time on people. And so I give a recount a couple of the stories in in the in the book about. You know, Pop, for example, saw that they had a new player that, I don't think this is in the book, a new player they drafted. Great skills, potential to be a really solid NBA player. But his social skills were bad. He was, he was lonely and he didn't reach out and just sit in his room. So what, what Coach Popovich did, you know, instead of ignoring it and hoping the problem would go away, he enlisted uh, the other senior leaders of the team, the, the established members of the San Antonio Spurs. Okay, guys. We need to figure out a way, you know, to get him out of his shells. They systematically started having have, invite him to dinner, eat with me at lunch. You know, almost like, like the uh, cool kids at school nurturing along the, the uncool kid at school. It was effective. It brought this, this young man out of his shell. And I could just give you one example after another of, of that combination of Coach Popovich's, you know, genius, I think, in terms of, of dealing with people. And the Spurs, as an organization, their genius of recognizing the importance of that. And I, this is just a good time as any time to say this. The more I study character, the more important, I think, the organizational context that you operate in is versus that you carry inside. That you carry inside is important. No doubt about it. But that context is just super critical in bringing out the best or the worst in you.
0: And when you say that, are you talking about the environment that people are in?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, it can be the environment. So there can be there can be environmental things like you know combat you know that are these mm-hmm. stressful, dangerous. But I'm thinking more about the organizational culture of the culture. The, yeah, the culture that 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 cherishes uh, positivity and, and cohesion and uh, and goodness among their people. So the first thing you see when you walk into the Spurs uh, facility, you don't see a whole bunch of uh, you know, like posters like you see in business school someplace. You got one thing: pound the rock, pound the rock, and it's just like grit. They pound the rock; just keep chipping away, just keep at it, and you'll be successful.
0: You You guys share so many great stories in this book. So many little anecdotes of of leadership and character. And one of the ones that really stood out to me was Lieutenant Daniel Hyde, uh, General kaslin I was wondering if you could share as we wrap up here, just what you recall about him and and, and his character uh, and just how that affects
2: you even today. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. Well, I wrote about Dan Hyde because I never want to forget him nor I want to forget his sacrifice. And, And the more you tell the story of Dan Hyde, the more I hope it will inspire other men and women. Uh, So Dan was an incredible human being. He was just a great leader. He was, I remember when I was, a before I was a superintendent, I was a commandant of cadets, similar to the Dean of Student Affairs. And um, so he was one of the senior commanders in the summer at Peace Barracks, ended up being the fourth regimental commander during the academic year. But he was really not only good, but he was really humble, modest, but just brilliant. And in great physical condition, and the his classmates, especially, just admired and loved him. And he, in his entire organization, just loved him. Um, and I just thought he was just a phenomenal person. I mean, I you know, as a commandant, you deal with the senior leaders of the corps of cadets all the time. Um, so he ended up going to the 25th Infantry Division. uh, he graduated in 2007. I think you graduated in 2008. I left to right around your graduation time and uh, joined the 25th. Dan had already been there. He had gone to Airborne and Ranger School. So we were ready to deploy shortly after I arrived, and um, Dan ended up in in the city of Samra, which is one of the most hostile areas in all of Iraq. Um, I kept in touch with Dan because I just knew him. They were about I think of in, in the division when I was a commandant, there might've been about 35 or 40 or so of you guys that I had served with at West Point when I was a commandant and you all were cadets and now you're all lieutenants doing some great work. Another guy I wrote about was Sam Ketchins too, class of uh, 07. Uh, so I was with uh, General Odierno who was the senior commander of all of Iraq um, up at the Bayes UL refinery having a meeting up there. and whenever you have a contact or something like that, someplace, you know, the, your XO will slip you a note. So they slipped me a note saying that there was a firefight going on inside of Samara. And I immediately knew it was Dan. And I had seen Dan the week before because Dan was in another firefight. He got his combat infantryman badge. And I went down there and awarded him his combat instruments badge. Last time I saw him, I put my arm around him and said, take care of yourself and be safe. And so, um then the next note was that we have some casualties and the next note was it was a lieutenant and there's there's not many lieutenants there so i go no i just pray it's not dan and it was they did a marvelous job trying to save them um but they were unable to do it but and i'll never forget i mean this is an emotion of combat when you lose someone that's very close to you um i went to where he was lying and just, uh, just him and I together, just talk, I don't know, it was just me talking to him, really apologizing for what had happened and, and knowing that soon his mom and dad were going to understand and, and get this word about their son's passing. Um, and the mom and dad were phenomenal. And I remember when we flew back, we wanted to invite all of the mothers and fathers that we had lost during that rotation. And, Dan's mom and dad agreed to come out there to um, to be with us, uh, and then later on, a few years later, when I was actually the superintendent, I went and visited Dan where his grave was in Modesto. Got a chance to talk to his high school. But you know, it was uh, it's a it's a shame that we lost Dan. But what Dan was never afraid of was the fact that he would have to give his life for his country, and he never he never blinked once he knew that that if necessary he was going to do that he had the moral courage the physical courage to stand in the gap to protect america um he had so many other different options available to him but he knew that this is something that he had to do he had a purpose in life with incredible talent and he he sought that purpose all the way to his very last breath you know men like men and women like Dan Hyde, um, are few and far between. And these are the ones that we really want to write about, but they're the greatest examples of what grit, determination, perseverance, tenacity, uh, compassion, empathy, love, forgiveness, kindness, curiosity, what all of what they are all about. He exemplified every bit of that. And he sacrificed his life for our country and we never want to forget that sacrifice. And even to this day, I don't know how many years later now, but I still wear his bracelet right here. You know, so Dan Hyde.
0: President Kazlin, thank you for sharing that. Uh, And I just, I just want to ask you, President Kazlin, and then I'll go to Dr. Matthews. uh, Any, any just parting words that you'd like to, to tell to uh, leaders, uh, aspiring leaders, students out there, uh, about your work on, on character.
2: Yeah, thanks, Cal. And first of all, let me just say, it's, it's my last chance to chat before we go off. Um, thanks for very much for hosting us and for having us. I really appreciate it. And hopefully all your listeners have a, a new appreciation of why character is so important. And that's what we talked about right from the beginning. And whether you are a leader or whether you're a follower or whether you're just a member of the team, if you want to be effective in leadership, the most important ingredient that, that will make you effective is that your subordinates will trust you as a leader, your teammates will trust you as a teammate, and your boss will trust you as one of his or her subordinates. So trust becomes the most important factor in effective leadership. So what creates trust? Trust is a function of being competent, having being a man and woman of great character, and to care but preeminent among all of them is your character. Because you could be number one in your class in competence, but if you fail in character, you fail in leadership. You could be number one in your class academically, you could be number one in your class physically, but if you fail in character, you have failed in leadership. And leadership is important, but character and leadership is the most important thing that we do. And that's what we do at West Point is to build leaders of character. So to everybody listening, be a man and woman of character and that'll be your guide and that'll guide you and that'll be your guiding principles of driving you to whatever purpose uh, your purpose is calling you for. So thanks again, Cal.
0: Well, thank you, sir. And uh, uh, I'm going to give you the last word here, Dr. Matthews, uh, but I just I, to all the listeners out there, I just want to thank you for tuning into this conversation to both of you gentlemen. I just want to thank you both for writing this book for taking your life's work and and sharing it with the rest of the world. And I I hope that all the listeners out there, I'll put show notes to the book link, the character edge leading and winning with integrity uh, at my website, calwalters.me and on social media. Uh, Dr. Matthews, if you could just uh, give us some parting words, uh, if you, if you don't mind.
1: You know, I, I, uh, I think I could not possibly improve what president Caslin just said. It echoes exactly my sentiment you know, character is, is, um, hugely important. It's, it's, it's that hy- hyphen, right? That we went, we're talking about earlier. Um, you can tell that, that president Kaz and I share enthusiasm and zeal for this topic. And it's based on between us, 85 years of, of experience, either as a scientist or as a leader. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And, and thank you to Cal for having us on your podcast. I, um, uh, we know this will reach people who may not have the time to, to sit down and read a big fat book, you know, Or, um, uh, but, but this exposes them to our ideas and, and we'd certainly invite uh, the listeners to, to read a bit more uh, if you get a chance. Hopefully, you'll find something of value and use to you in the book. But thanks, Cal, for having us.
0: Well, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Cal. Friends, thank you so much for listening today. If you'd enjoyed today's episode, please do me a favor and go and share it with just one other person in your network. You never know when just one insight from President Kaslin or Dr. Matthews is exactly what someone else needs to hear today. Leading the right way is often simple, but it's definitely not easy. It takes hard work. It requires doing the important work of character development. It's important to be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. I hope that you will invest in your leadership And go and pick up a copy of of The Character Edge. And as Angela Duckworth said, only Mike Matthews and Bob Caslin could have written this book. And it's sure to be an instant classic. Go and focus on your eulogy virtues this week. Remember that life is short. Let's go make it count.